We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome everyone you are listening to steel talking i'm your host gerilyn steel it is what i love to do is sit here and be with you on a sunday night and oh my goodness we have a lot to talk about don't we so much going on, so much going on. I thought for sure the Timberwolves were playing, um, not tonight, but tomorrow. Um, but I understand that the Timberwolves basketball does return tomorrow at 6.30 at Cleveland on WCCL Radio. So make sure you tune in to check out the Timberwolves. Um, there's so much going on in the news. I mean, there's a lot going on in the news. And it's not that it's so different. It's just that I feel as though we are inundated far more today with bad news than we do with good news. Well, Jonathan Lowe is our in-studio producer. And by the way, I have two brand new producers of this show, Chris Tubbs and Craig Schopfer, and I am excited to have them on board. This is our first night together. Hey, Jonathan. Oh, my gosh. Three producers in one moment. It's amazing. How, how special <laughs> do you feel now? Oh, man, I feel special. Either that or I'm stupid. I don't know. Here's the thing, though. It's been really great um, to hear from Chris and to hear from Craig as well and try to understand their language as well, and they're trying to understand mine, and they're doing a great job. So I'm really excited about about this and to continue to have you on as well. I wanted to talk about in these first few minutes about everything that's going up. Prices of everything seems to be going up according to my um, cash in my <laughs> check, checking account. So gas prices are ridiculous. It's three forty nine nearly everywhere. You have to go outside of the Twin Cities metro area, start getting into... Um, Oh my goodness, I would say close to St. Peter, you know, those little towns there, Jordan, past Jordan, you might get something for maybe 309 or 315. But what are you seeing in your neighborhood? It's about the same. Um about 330, 335-ish. So, uh, it's it's about average for what the Twin Cities is. That's I not average. Per, per, 330 is not average. It's 349. Might as well put a penny on that and make it 350. Well, again, with me, it's the prices are still not as bad as they were back in the recession of 0809. I, I, I and I was talking about this with some coworkers from my other job earlier this week. We were talking about the supply chain issues. I personally, because I haven't been driving around as much because of everything that's happened because of the pandemic, I haven't felt it in the gas prices as much. I have felt it more in the grocery store. Oh, my gosh. That was the second thing I was going to mention. Okay, so what are you seeing? Because I I have so much to say. (laughs) Well, I mean, the prices, you you can see that stuff that 
maybe a, a year ago or a couple of years ago, they were give you a, a guesstimate of like three fifty. Now they're up to five dollars or five twenty five, and I get that there's inflation that usually goes along with time, but you can tell that this is a different time. You can tell that this is an oddity when you talk about the prices that have been going up in stores the last two years because of the pandemic. And I'm not even going to think about what's going to happen now that uh, the global, the geopolitical ramifications have now come into play the last few days. Yeah, and it's getting worse. I have to tell you, with the grocery stores, I went into a couple of them. I won't name them, um, but one that I knew would have a whole chicken, right? I just thought, oh, yeah, I'll go in here and get that for mom. No problem. I go in. There are no whole chickens. There are no pieces of chicken. There's no chicken. And, of course, some people think, oh, okay, well, that's fine. We eat a lot of chicken anyway, so, you know, go with something else. And then I went to another grocery store. Not only did they only have four whole chickens, they only had four. They had no lamb. They had uh, no beef, hardly any beef, I should say. Um, and so the meats we have seen in some of the grocery stores, either they're extremely high in prices or they just don't have it anymore. Same thing with distilled water. Um, my mother needs distilled water. So many people that use CPAPs and BiPAPs need distilled water, and it's been nearly impossible over the last two months to get distilled water. And then when it is available, some stores are, you know, saying only one per person. And when you have someone using a machine like that, it takes a lot of water in five days. So, you know, that was really frustrating with the grocery prices, um, even soda pop, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, um, distilled water, of course, as I said, but, um, you know, all of the fancy waters that you can buy, they're just going up. I get really frustrated with that. So how do you budget for what you need in your household? I'm different because I, I live on my own. I, I don't have to worry about uh, kids. I don't have to worry about uh, parents or anyone with, with any sort of special needs in the house. I, I just take care of my own. So I, to be honest, I am not the right person to ask about this. I would, I would prefer, or not prefer, I would defer to fuller families, you know, three, four, five, seven people in a household where you have to really budget your time, budget your money, budget your resources. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not just the grocery prices or the gas prices. I went out to dinner. Dining prices are up. A cup of coffee is up, right? So you keep everywhere you go or everywhere I go, I'm looking to see the changes. You know, I keep a lot of receipts in my wallet anyway, so I can pull them out and go, wait a minute, two weeks ago I bought that and it didn't cost that much. Why did it go up so much? Um, it's not like it's going up $5. I'm not saying that, but with with uh, households right now really hurting uh, many of them, you know, $2 more on, you know, a pizza can hurt. Uh, or you might say, hey, we're not going to get that pizza tonight. It went up $2. We really don't need to do that. So I think that's what I keep looking at. How are people doing? How are Minnesotans doing? You know, are we finding that these prices are going way too high and it's just too much? Or do we say, even with homes, homes are more expensive, but it's been like that since the pandemic, really. And then, of course, apartment buildings, it's... A two-bedroom, one-bath for $1,600. Think about that. 
That's been going up for ages. That's been I, I could tell you that was that was pricing pre-pandemic. That wasn't wow. pricing after COVID hit. That was pricing before we got to 2020. You know, that that has been going up in in uh, I don't want to say unfiltered, but but in a in a constant way, especially the last 10 years again since the recession, trying to get the the housing market back up. Wow, it's it's really quite remarkable. And just thinking about those who try to find an apartment or a townhouse or something, a condo, something they can manage with what they are making. And I'm I'm I just feel terrible about it. I think it's way past where it should be at this time in our lives. Even though we're opening up more, uh, no more mask in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And I know you're excited about that, dude. So. <laughs> You know, we're getting there, but um, we still have to be aware of our neighbors, aware of the elders in the community and do what we can. That I really do believe. Okay, we're going to take a break, do some spots. And when we come back, my first guest is a cardiologist and expert in women's heart disease with Alina Health's Minneapolis Heart Institute. And of course, February is heart month, and we are just one day away from February being done. It's just shocking to me, but um, there's a lot to talk about even tonight about heart. We'll be back in a moment. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. And as promised, we are speaking with a cardiologist and an expert in women's heart disease with Alina Health's Minneapolis Heart Institute. And she is here to talk about heart health for women. And it is Dr. Ritu Saxena. We're so glad to have you join us tonight. How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. As an expert uh, cardiologist, and when it comes to women's health, um, I just want to talk to you about your health and how you feel about um, all the information that you try to get out to as many Minnesotans and beyond. And it must be you know, rewarding and frustrating at the same time when it doesn't feel as though people are getting the message and the times when they are getting the message. Tell us more about that. Um, about my health or about getting the the message out? 
No, I apologize. It is really about getting the message out and ask, you know, women saying, yes, I hear what you're saying and I'll try to do my best, but are we really doing our best? Are we really listening? Uh, because every year we talk about this and it's important to talk about this. Is it getting worse for women or better? Well, I think for women in heart disease, the numbers are pretty stable where we did have across the board, both for men and women, a decrease in heart disease related deaths. And those numbers have started to increase as about 2013. Men and women, though, did reach parity. It used to be more women died from heart disease than men did. But we reached parity about 2013 as well. And so we're dying at the same rates. In terms of um, how people are doing. I think that I think that there's still a lot of lack of understanding that heart disease is the number one killer of women. I think a lot of women, when you ask them, and this was a study that was actually published in about 2019, they think that cancer, and, and don't get me wrong, cancer is really, really important, but that cancer is the number one killer of uh, women. And thank goodness um, that women don't die from cancer as much as they do from heart disease. But I, I think that there's still a lack of knowledge, especially in our communities of color, where those women are just not aware that heart disease is the number one killer of women. And so it's really hard to make change when we're not fully aware of um, what, what is the leading cause of death in women. I think what surprises me most is that there are different types of heart disease, how do we know which heart disease is the one we should check on with our doctors? Well, I think it goes back to how you're feeling. Um, it turns out that most heart disease comes with the same set of symptoms. Um, for women particularly, you absolutely can have chest discomfort, chest pressure, heaviness. Sometimes that's located in our neck and our jaw. Sometimes that's located in our upper back. Women often feel shortness of breath, especially shortness of breath with exertion. They can feel fatigued. They can feel lightheaded, dizzy, and they can get swollen legs or ankles where they're holding on to too much fluid. I think if you're having any of those symptoms, it potentially could be your heart and it requires an evaluation. What, what, when you get that evaluation, we as heart doctors or your primary care provider can help direct in what way that heart is um, causing you trouble. Okay, so what I am really interested in is, you know, we hear things about females and heart attacks, and we used to get the same type of answer, but things have really changed, like depression and emotional stress can be considered when we are having some of these symptoms as things that we really need to look into. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, so it turns out that women are two times more likely, uh, so twice as likely to suffer depression after a heart attack. Depression in a young woman who has heart disease can actually increase our risk of dying more from heart disease. But stress and depression play a different role in women's hearts. Um, women primarily have what's called broken heart syndrome um, or st stress broken heart syndrome called cardio, uh, Takotsubo's cardiomyopathy. This tends to overwhelmingly affect postmenopausal or perimenopausal women, and it's from acute stress. Stress can also cause different types of heart artery problems where the heart artery tears. And so we absolutely know that for women, stress management and paying attention to our anxiety and our depression and treating them if needed is really, really important for heart health.
So if it's part of who you are, you know, the family genealogy and, and I'm wondering what genes you have, what diseases are in the family. With all of that said, um, how do we know what type of lifestyle to lead? What type of lifestyle we should really be engaged in that will make sure it helps us um, stay away from heart attacks? Maybe it, it allows us to um, live a longer life. Well, so I love this question because I always tell people, and when I give talks, I always tell, I always leave with 80% of what I do is preventable, meaning 80% of what I see, whether it's in the ICU here at the hospital or in my clinic, could have been prevented. And it's simple by knowing your genetics and knowing your risk factors. If you haven't had your cholesterol checked, get your cholesterol checked. Don't just get your cholesterol checked, but have your doctor and your primary care doctor should be doing this calculate a 10-year cardiovascular risk score. Make sure you're getting your blood pressure checked on a yearly basis. If you have a family history for or at risk for diabetes, get your diabetes screen on a yearly basis. If you have any of those conditions, we have really good data that controlling our diabetes, controlling our blood pressure, controlling our cholesterol helps decrease the risk of having heart disease, whether you're a man or a woman listening to this. In terms of lifestyle, Eat a whole food diet. We know the more vegetables and fruits a person eats, believe it or not, the longer they live. Eat um, lean protein. Try to stay away from processed food. Try to limit your intake of um, free sugar or simple sugars and simple carbohydrates, as well as limiting your intake of processed foods. And then here's the, here's the, the cure-all, the, the one thing that I wish everybody did is get out and move. Get those steps in, dance in the living room, try to move your body 30 minutes every day. And if you work at a desk job, try to get up every hour and stand up. Turns out that sitting may be as bad for us as smoking, but exercising and standing and getting up and moving around helps decrease that risk. And then, of course, if you happen to smoke, and especially if you're a woman, quit. Smoking increases our risk for heart attacks six times that of baseline. For a man, it's only three times that of baseline. So smoking, and, and especially for women in heart diseases, is, is really profoundly bad. So it's kind of those same things that we've said year after year. Exercise more. May, try to maintain a healthy weight. Eat whole foods that are good for us. Don't smoke. And then make sure your blood pressure, cholesterol, and um, blood sugars are under control. Now, you're absolutely right. You have told us this. Uh, the cardiologist across the country has told us this. However, mental health is also an issue. Um, where are we um, right now when it comes to the heart and making sure that we not just take care of our whole body, but also our mental health? Well, I think that a lot of heart doctors are paying attention to mental health, especially when it comes to certain conditions um, and especially when it comes to things like Takotsubos. We know that things like Tai Chi, meditation, yoga have all been shown to be beneficial. But like I said, if you happen to have a diagnosis of depression or anxiety, getting those things evaluated and treated is really, really important for future mental health. Wow, you have uh, definitely given us information. Some of us have heard it and other things that you've said tonight I've never heard before. So we really appreciate you joining us tonight, Dr. Ritu. Thank you so much. Um, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
All right, that is Dr. Ritu Saxena, a cardiologist and expert in women's heart disease with Alina Health's Minneapolis Heart Institute. Please do not take this for granted. We hear this kind of news about heart attacks all the time. And um, some people, we say, oh my gosh, she didn't have the same symptoms or, you know, her symptoms were so different from so-and-so's. Yeah, we are not the same. Each one of us are so different, but there are things we can look for. So if you did not get a chance to hear all of the interview tonight, please go to the podcast and listen to it, or you can... Um, research it at Alina Health. Um, get as much information about our hearts as women. This is real. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll come back in a moment. It is now 7.34 here at WCCO. Welcome back to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. It is what I love to do is sit here with you tonight and just talk. I really appreciate it. You are welcome to join us if you have a question. All you have to do is join us at 651 461 Seven. Do I have that right, Jonathan, with the Last new number? Last digit, six. Ah, of seven. 9226 instead of 9227. So, yeah, you're always welcome to call in. All right. Educator reporter, education reporter Lauren Lumpkin is joining us. Why? Because we're going to talk about the FBI's reports of at least 57 bomb threats at historic black colleges and universities and even other institutions. And this has been happening since January, since January. So the article in the Washington Post says the FBI and 57 historical black colleges and universities, uh, places of worship and other faith-based and academic institutions received bomb threats between January 4th and February 16th. And the Bureau is investigating the incidents as hate crimes. Um, it's what's, I think, what bothers me so much is, you know, we've been hearing about this for years. You remember, Jonathan, the four girls who were killed in that bomb? Um, Birmingham, back in the, Alabama in 1963. Absolutely, 1963. Yep. And, you know, we've been hearing about bomb threats uh, all along. It never really stops completely. You know, all of a sudden... It'll come up one HBCU school, and, and that, that means they are focusing on us. If you're going after historic black college or university, that person is going after black people, which is really quite fascinating. And so joining us to talk about this is the author of this um, this article. And I tell you, as I was reading it, trying to figure out, man, you know, how do I stay calm (laughs) on this? And I know that I have to, and so I will. But I have to tell you, um, first of all, welcome to WCCO, Lauren, and um, forgive me for being a little shaken by it all, but it's a lot to shake you, right? It is for sure. And thank you so much for having me Um, reporting on this. You know, I'm I'm approaching this as a reporter and trying to get the facts out. But also, you know, whenever I mean, it's a weekly basis. Now we hear about a new school getting threats and, you know, something in my stomach just drops every single time. Exactly. Fifty seven historically black colleges and universities. I think that's the largest number we've seen. Am I correct? Right. And and that number also includes some faith based institutions, houses of worship, um, but, you know, our tally of the historically black colleges and universities, it's, it's more than two dozen at this point. Um, you know, different schools in, in various states have all received similar threats. So where do we go from here? Um, as a journalist, I can only imagine how frustrated it is for you to hear this uh, and try to encourage or try to write something that would be encouraging. Yet um, we are not seeing a whole lot of that, are we? 
Right. And, you know, the, the FBI, is they released a statement last week, just because there's been so much interest in this story, people are really anxious and trying to figure out, OK, what happens next? Who, you know, have there been arrests? Like what, what are who are the perpetrators and, and what are their consequences going to be? And it, it can be frustrating because we don't really know right now. And I've been talking to university presidents and students who have similar kind of anxieties about when is this going to end. Um, but at this point, you know, these campuses are doing what they can. You know, in, in Virginia, the, the governor on Friday said that he is going to seek emergency funding so that the four historically black colleges, universities in the state of Virginia can have some more money to deal with these threats. Um, the Virginia State University, they have already, you know, hired police officers and try to bring on more security. And so, I mean, there's there's a very real financial aspect of this, but that's, that's really, you know, all these institutions can do at this time, just try to keep safe and bolster resources where they can. You know, the in your article, it says the authorities have yet to find any explosive devices. And I know that there's been talk about six teenagers, I think. Um, and so I'm just wondering what you're hearing about this. If there are no explosive uh, devices have been found between January and now, what does that tell us? Right. And that's why it's tricky, because at this point, you know, we, right, nothing has been found yet. But also every incident, the FBI says that they're taking each incident very seriously. We hear the same thing from law enforcement, you know, the, in the localities around these universities. They're taking it very seriously because, you know, while nothing has been found yet, you don't want to let your down, guard down just in case something does happen. And, you know, I've been talking to students, like I mentioned, and they kind of feel the same way. You know, some students are very much so anxious, but some are, you know, have the the sentiment of, hey, nothing's happened yet. So, you know, maybe I can just go back to focusing on class and try to forget about this. But I don't know, it it is difficult because we don't want to let our guards down just in case something really does happen. So I read that there were some students that were getting text messages and that sort of thing uh, with a threat. And are we seeing that the the professors also or the administration? Is it just a little bit of everyone on these campuses? Right. Um, that's what I'm still trying to confirm, who exactly is, is getting these threats. You know, I've heard administration getting the threats and they come in uh, phone calls, emails. Sometimes they're anonymous posts online, incident messaging, you know, just and they're all anonymous. There's just various ways. And that's kind of the FBI uh, shed some more light on that last week. They gave some more specificity as to how exactly these threats are coming in. The, the FBI, you know, we look to them for protection often or, and to at least find out what is going on. And it's interesting to me that they really don't have clarity on it just yet. It, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, because we all really, really want answers. But, you know, when, when I talk to university presidents, they have full faith in the agency to, to handle the situation. And, um, you know, they're, they're working with all these universities. 31 field officers are on this. They're doing conducting hundreds of um, interviews and, con- you know, analyzing all this electronic um, information. And so we're just kind of trying to stay patient. And that's the sentiment I'm getting from these campuses, too, just really just trying to be patient and, and hope that we get more information from the FBI before more of these threats come in. You know, um, one of the sentences in your article says the FBI has encouraged people who notice suspicious activity to submit a tip. And as you know, with all of the complication um, between the races in our great country right now, some people are terrified to submit a tip. Um, the FBI, I'm hope, is able to encourage students and administration to really come forward if they see something. You remember how we learned years ago, if you see something, say something. And it is so important because it could really matter and save lives. So where do we go from here? Does the FBI look into, are people coming forward with any tips, do you know? 
it's unclear right now what exactly, you know, what kind of information that the FBI is getting. But, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that tips are coming in and that they're credible tips, you know, things that the FBI can actually look into and follow up on. Um, but I, I think that's a really good question and something that, you know, we're going to continue to keep an eye on. What are they finding out? Are any of these tips actually helpful at this point? Yeah. And then finally, of course, um, we have um, the FBI agents. We have some um, officers on the campuses that are really checking and keeping their eyes open. And I'm wondering, are the schools having to pay for these agents, these police officers or security officers, whomever they're hiring? Are the universities having to pay for it or are the states paying for it? Right. And at this point, the universities are paying for it. Um, you know, when, when the local police department comes in, that's, you know, a whole other separate thing. But, you know, the first response on a lot of these campuses is the university's police department. And when the bomb threat comes in, they have to sweep every single building, every classroom, every it, it's really time consuming. It's expensive. You have to have all this staff. Like I said, Virginia State University, you know, they've made additional hires. So um, I think that is something that these schools are kind of looking at. This is expensive. The, the, and, you know, these are schools that already have limited resources and to have to spend extra money on these threats. Um, you know, they're try, trying, trying to figure out, you know, what's, we, can, we can only sustain this for so long. And so that's kind of what's going on in Virginia at this point with the governor trying to seek money from the General Assembly to help these schools bolster their security. So if we want to help, do you know if they've uh, said anything about how we can help in some way? I think at this point, you know, like you mentioned, if you see something, say something and just keep these schools in your thoughts. Um, there, it's, it's a really tough time. I mean, I, when I talk to students, I, it, it's hard not to feel, really feel for them. There's a pandemic, you know, so much of their college experience has been upended from the coronavirus. And now they're back on campus, things, things seem somewhat normal, and these bomb threats coming, keep coming in. And, you know, a lot of the presidents say that they're meant to intimidate and disrupt and, disrupt and distract students. And it's a really difficult time. So, you know, just really keep them in your thoughts and, um, you know, just continue to follow the story. We don't want the story to fall out of the, you know, out of the national attention. That's why we, we want to keep reporting on it so that people keep focusing on it, um, you know, and we're going to follow the story until it's resolved. It's so true, Lauren, because I remember these stories would come forward and all of a sudden they disappear and you kind of forget when it's not in front of you. So, yes, that's a great um, example right there is to make sure that we stay on top of these stories and talk about them so people know that this is still happening or not happening. Thank you so much for joining us. Education reporter Lauren Lumpkin, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. We're going to take a break and then come back with uh, wrapping up this whole conversation about the FBI reports of at least 57, 57, 57 bomb threats to the historic black colleges and universities and even some other institutions, like she said, faith-based academic institutions, that sort of thing. And this has been happening since January. So if you'd like to call in and be a part of this, all you have to do is call Go ahead, right ahead, Jonathan, and give that number because I get it wrong. 651-461-9226. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back, everyone. As you heard us talking about those 57 um, HBCU schools, which is historic black uh, colleges, and then add a new U on the end, and it's universities as well. Um, the Washington Post also did an article about um, how some enrollments are dropping nationwide. Literally, it says, amid nationwide enrollments, they are dropping. Some HBCUs are growing, and so are the threats. So we've already talked about the threats, but here's the thing I will never understand. 
again, um, Jonathan. In our country, it used to be you wanted to get an education, whether it was in elementary school, junior high school, high school, or going to a college or university. Um, or if you had a trade that you wanted to do, you had to do something. I, I was born in Gary, Indiana, and let me tell you, um, at near the end of school, like the last six months of your 12th grade, you had to turn in to um, um, the authorities, not the authorities, but the leaders of the school, exactly what you were going to do after graduation. You could either go to the military, you know, you could go to um, uh, classes where you learn, you know, technical schools, or you could go to college. And I would say probably 70% of my classmates went to college. Um, but we could never say, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to graduate and I'll figure it out later. That was just not an option. And to learn that, you know, some of the smaller schools like the HBCU schools, their numbers are increasing, but so many universities and colleges um, in our nation are starting to see the enrollment go down. And that is tragic. I don't know about you, but that frightens me. If we're not learning, then what are we doing? Well, the big thing in what I've been hearing about this, and I see when you open up your web browsers, whether it's a Firefox or Microsoft Edge, usually you'll see articles that you might interest you that might uh, go along with your web search, your website search history. And a lot of these articles, not a lot of them, but I've seen more and more pop up talking about how education is not necessary, number one, not as necessary to the people that are coming up, they, they don't see it as, as a big-time necessity going forward. But the biggest thing about that is the cost. It's, it's tr- throwing in thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 probably or on more. average over four, over four years of education and, and way more if you're talking about masters and, gra- and grad- graduates for masters or for doctorates. And having those student loan debts hovering over you for years, for maybe decades. And so it, it seems like the cost-benefit ratio, I don't think it's necessarily tipped. I don't think it's tipping greatly to, well, we're not going to go to college, and you seem like 80% of people saying I'm not going to go to college. But it, it seems like it is trending a little bit more closer to even than I can remember. Well, I tell you, uh, it's frustrating. We need an educated society. We need educated um, members of this greater. If you are an American, you know, if you're part of the United States, I would encourage you to get more uh, education because the more information you get, the more truth you get, the more you know you don't know. That's the one thing for me. I'm, I'm trying to finish my master's degree at Luther Seminary right now at Luther Seminary. And it has been a challenge for me because I don't necessarily understand the language of theology. However, you keep going until you just can't, till you fall apart. And that's not going to happen. Nope. I promised my mother I was going to finish. I promised my children I was going to finish. I am going to finish. So as we watch a lot of young people trying to figure it out, right? I forget what they were called. There's actually a name for those who don't want to go to college. Do you remember it, Jonathan? Uh, it's not, not the non the nons. It's something else. Uh, oh goodness! Uh, let I'll me have see to if I can look, it, look up. it up real quick. Yeah, there's a name for it, and um, a lot of young people have been encouraged 
by other students and even, you know, some people who went to college and didn't like it and they were discouraged. And so they're discouraging others to go. And so I encourage every one of us to get as much education as we can. If you can't afford to go to college, then at least let's try to educate ourselves at the libraries. There are still many libraries um, in the great state of Minnesota. I know here in the Twin Cities we have plenty. I think we do, even though a lot of them are so packed because there's so many students that need to use their computers as well. But, boy, I am telling you, they are getting it done, and I'm so grateful for it. Do we need to, you know, have more libraries? Well, why not? Why not? If you need to self-educate yourself until you can get uh, a scholarship or something that can get you into school, then God help you. God bless you. My daughter had her, has her PhD. And I'm just like you were saying, Jonathan, it is so expensive. The debt is unbelievable. Yet so many students just keep trying. They keep moving forward, trying to make sure it happens. You went to college, Jonathan. You know what it was like to get the degree. I do. And it, it, it does take time out of, you know, you College, in my opinion, is is great is a great incubator to allow you to potentially have some errors, have some uh, issues in your life. Again, hopefully nothing too serious, but uh, be on your own and try to figure stuff out if you can and where you can. Um, some people take advantage of it. Some people don't. I I've never been against growing the trade schools. I think that's a great idea to have trade schools out there, to have vocation schools out there so that you can have people going into trades. If they don't want to go to that type of setting, uh, they want to get into the workforce right away. They want to learn something that they think will not only benefit other people, but will provide them a very stable income. So if if we have not, I agree that we have not been um, – discussing the trade schools and and bringing them into light more these days than we did in the past. I I would love for people to go to college, but I understand that that is not for everybody. College is not for everyone. I completely understand that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to go to college, you don't have to go to college. No, but do something. Do something to better ourselves, no matter what it is. Do something. I agree if with we that. are all going towards better, if we're just trying to get on that road of better, then we're better for it. There you go. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our first hour. Coming up next, oh, we've got a great show lined up tonight. Thanks to Chris as well as Craig. We'll be back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.